Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is Dr. Christopher Perrin with another episode of the Cafe Scole podcast. In this episode, I'm delighted to interview author Danielle Bennett Dukes. Danielle has homeschooled her children, six of them, and she's a native of New Orleans. She's married to Dion, and she's the co-founder and former board member of the Nianza Classical Community. She's also a graduate of Circe Institute's apprenticeship program. It was a delight to talk to her about education as beatitude. You're going to enjoy this conversation, I'm sure. Danielle brings a delightful combination of piety for the classical tradition of education, a love for the Church of Jesus Christ, a love for renewing classical education in the African-American community and all communities, and a joy for ongoing learning in the context of a family. Enjoy. Daniel, you've spoken from time to time about the Beatitudes. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do the Beatitudes inform your goals and your methods as an educator? So the Beatitudes form my goals as an educator because I believe that the Beatitudes are our telos. I believe the Beatitudes are the end that we should be pursuing with understanding that the Beatitudes are our ultimate happiness because it's a union with God. It is our blessedness. It is our happiness that a Christian should be seeking. And then if union with God is our end, (laughs) and we're preparing our children for that through education, then we're preparing our children to become saints. And then I think that properly orders, (laughs) it orders our, um, our curriculum, our purpose, the way we go about it, the, how we view our children, <laughs> how we view ourselves as teachers, and education with the idea of beatitude at the end potentially has the ability or should have the ability to fit us to belong to the communion of saints. <laughs> that is the true end. So it's not a good citizen. It's not the ultimate but you will be a good citizen if you're a saint, <laughs> if you're on the road to holiness. <laughs> so, you know, you're reminding me of a comment that I read from a, a Catholic historian of education. It mm-hmm. was W.J. Kane, mm-hmm. writing in the 1940s or so. And he opens his book and he says that the purpose of education mm-hmm. is to prepare children for the life to come. Mm-hmm. And, and he meant Eternal life. Exactly. So it sounds like you're saying the same thing. I am. The education now, uh, and you're also making me think about that Jesus saying, I've come that you might have life Life. (laughs) and have it abundantly, and that word is zoe. Mm -hmm. It's not bios, uh, Mm -hmm. which means our our biological life, but there's this, and somehow this eternal zoe life begins now. Yes, definitely. When you have a Christocentric view of education <laughs> or living. Um, and that's another thing. 
if the Beatitudes are the telos or is the telos, it makes us Christocentric. We have to put Christ at the center. It helps us to see ourselves. It orients us towards eternal life. So it's an education for death. <laughs> it's a reminder of death that we will die. And it points us to our living or how we should live. So it points us to, you know, the kingdom of God and what that looks like, even as on earth as it is in heaven kind of thing. So it is a coming together of here and now. I know this is informed by your view that life is sacramental, Mm -hmm. that everything we engage is engaging the eternal, even now. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me you you embrace this paradox that um, it's only you know in giving that we receive, it's only in dying that we live. It's yes. the, the last two will be first, mm-hmm. and that if we give up our life, we gain it. Yes. How do your children and others that you've educated respond to this kind of paradox? How do your children respond to being educated in beatitude? What, what kind of responses have you gotten? I believe it's what I've seen in them. It it orients them and points them in the right direction. So what it does, it it may not make, it doesn't help them to fit in (laughs) necessarily to the cultural move and waves of society, but it helps them to see in a way that helps them to embody grace, because that's ultimately what I, I want to see happen in their life and it helps them to look for grace and so it helps them to be able to connect with other people because they expect they understand you know that we are made in the image and likeness of god mm-hmm. that we're a child of the most high god whether other people recognize it or not mm-hmm. so in a way it, it helps them to be people who are um, walking in love who are abiding in christ and in its ways I can't plan or make happen. So it's not like I'm making <laughs> this happen. But a constant orientation and pointing to helps them to see in order to be the people that God are calling them to be. So while reading um, Great Expectations, Chapter 8, just being shocked as their teacher, that that chapter ends in um, in confession of my students. <laughs> So Pip in chapter eight, he's at Miss Havisham's house for the first time. They're playing cards. He's playing cards with Estella, a child of his age. And Estella brings to Pip's attention that he is beneath her in some way, that his hands are coarse. He doesn't know the names of cards. His boots are thick. And Dickens says it's as if Pip caught an infection. Uh, he became aware of himself in a way that made him feel less than who he was. And my children's response to that was with tears. And I was shocked because I did not expect that to happen. <laughs> and I couldn't have planned it. You know, I, I, there's no way I could have made it happen because we we're reading aloud in, in a park. And so that chapter ends, you know, in our we're reading aloud to one another. And one of the children starts to cry and say, I, I've felt what Pip has felt. You know, I've experienced that. And this is what it looked like for me. And then the other children took turns and saying the same thing without my prompting. And then as their teacher, I I saw it was a moment where I had to lead them into a reconciliation and a repentance of of those who have hurt us. Like, let's 
it was a beautiful moment. So let us pray for our hurts and our wounds. Mm-hmm. And then as a teacher, I couldn't have prevented those things. I didn't know they even happened. Mm-hmm. And then there were th- it happened, the wounds or the hurt that they expressed weren't things that you would go and, you know, argue about with somebody. <laughs> like, it was invisible wounds that went deep. And so just leading the students, the children to a constant repentance for reconciliation within themselves first um, so that they can be whole persons mm-hmm. and operate in the world expecting to see grace and to embody it. I guess I could paraphrase you by saying that you're leading them back to beatitude. Yes, it's a constant, ongoing. Um, I've been thinking about it in terms of a, an atom. It's dynamic. Like we should expect this education to be very dynamic, and there are multiple interwoven, connected attractions, <laughs> designs that's fitted together, held together by invisible force. <laughs> but they are moving parts, and it's and it's moving together and it's coming together to build something and direct and orient and it's all around us. It's an atmosphere, it's a life, it's a relations and all these things that we can't see all the time. Mm-hmm. Boy, boy, I can just imagine going through each of those Beatitudes and applying them to education. I'm, I bet you've done that. Like uh, in this case, I'm thinking, blessed are those who persecute you. Mm-hmm. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Right. For righteousness' sake, or when men speak evil and revile you, f- and speak falsely against you yes. for my sake, for 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 your reward is great in heaven. Right. Uh, blessed are those who who mourn. Blessed. Uh, it, um, it's it's a beautiful thing. I I discovered a few years ago that Aristotle mm-hmm. describes uh, this blessed the state of blessedness. He uses the same Greek word that is used in in the Gospel of Matthew, makarios. Makarios mm-hmm. meaning blessed. Mm-hmm. And he says, that's um, that's the state of the gods. Mm-hmm. Only the gods are makarios. And Jesus says, you are makarios. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can experience essentially what the Greeks regarded as something reserved only for divine mm-hmm. beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's remarkable. That Jesus himself is blessed. He is mm-hmm. Makarius with a capital M or Mu. Right. <laughs> and uh, he brings that to us, yes. in a, but in an um, unexpected way, by, by way of suffering. Yes. You know, suffering first, glory second. Right. Death first, life and resurrection second. Right. And that is, a, um, like, I love the saying of the Easter, we are an Easter people. Hmm. That we sing the resurrection song, you know, we sing hallelujah. And so and just contemplating what does that mean that we are an Easter people? So we we are a people of the resurrection, but you only can be resurrected if you <laughs> if you die. So it's a constant dying and living that I want the children to to know, like, this is what life is about. You will suffer. Expect to suffer. <laughs> You're also reminding me of the uh, monastic dictum, think on death daily. Mm-hmm. And sometimes Jerome and other of these monastic saints are pictured with a skull. Yes. Uh, they're reminding us to live out this paradox that it's only in dying that we live. Right. I love the, um, just the, I, I want them to know that we're surrounded by paradox and that there's always a tension therein. 
but also that um, I don't want them to think that they're masters of the universe. I think sometimes the temptation of being well-educated and well-read is to think that you know it all, and that it's only in knowing, you know, and so um, that you become, and it's not just knowing. You need to know and to see and to be it. You need to, you need, it needs to, it should be something that unites you, Unites us to others and unites us to God. And so it's just not in knowing the right, the, the facts <laughs> or the right thing to be able to discuss books like that does not save. It doesn't even make you a good person. You could have read all the books of, <laughs> of all humankind and all cultures and all languages and you can be an evil person. <laughs> so I, I really, and in, in knowing that, you you do have an end of your earthly life. I think that helps to orient you. It's a constant orientation that I would like to take place. Like, you need to know where you are and to know where you're going. You need to know the past in order to go forward. You need to know that um, we live in the world is full of darkness, but at the same time, that it's bathed in beautiful light. <laughs> and so I think, and I'm also trying to, buoy them and strengthen them into I want them to be able to ride ride the waves of this stormy sea you know that you are in a sea and you will feel adrift at times you will feel lost at times but you're not alone that you're in the ark and so I'm trying to because I'm not going to always be there and um, so when they go off to college or wherever their next steps are um, I don't want them to be turned around so easily. You know, I don't want someone to come and say, well, you know, Christians are this or that or this mm-hmm. and this happened and that. And, and and for my children to say, or my students to say, oh, I didn't know that. Let me go and follow you now to see what you're talking about. Because mm-hmm. that's the current temptation that's in the world. Well, it's always been there, but um, we see it so easily that our ways of thinking and being and living is not um, is under attack in many ways just from a Christian perspective mm-hmm. and so I'm trying to strengthen them to live in that world and re- resist those temptations and stay on the path that God has for them mm-hmm. yeah and it seems that each of the Beatitudes would be great preparation for that Yeah, and the I- times when you're going to have to mourn Yes. Times when you're going to have to hunger and thirst. Right. Times when you're going to have to be a peacemaker. Yes. And the idea of beatitude as um, place. I remember reading something like it's a geography. It's a place to dwell, like mm-hmm. in with the idea of beatitude. And so I think it's, it's grounding and rooting to be part of that blessedness and in union with God. Like it's a... It's a place to, to reside. <laughs> it's a home. And so um, no matter how, and that's the thing that I'm not trying to tell them what it looks like. So that's another thing. Well, blessed are the hungry or let's go, you know, the temptation of a lot of education and schools and teachers are like, okay, let's, Jesus said, let's feed the hungry. So let's go on Thursday, the first Thursday of the month, we're going to go feed the hungry, mm-hmm. which is a great and noble thing. But it's like, I want you to live within <laughs> the being merciful. You know, why do we feed the hungry? Or um, 
or just the idea of what does it mean to be hungry? Like, can you be hungry and still have food, like mm-hmm. have enough bread to eat and, and yet be hungry? Mm-hmm. Can you have, you know, cases of water and still thirst? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I'm trying to not just be, um, it's not just an experiential thing. It's something to really ground you, aren't you? It's a place of being that directs you to where you're going. So it's a, like, that's why I say it's dynamic. <laughs> so it is, you know, it's the Beatitudes itself, but it's also the union mm-hmm. that you're constantly seeking. Mm. You, as you describe, like, the particular circumstance of being hungry or thirsty, you mentioned mercy, mm-hmm. it seems to me that each of the Beatitudes may become pertinent and important at various times yes. in one's life. Uh, it's almost as if Jesus is giving us a kind of rubric, if you will, mm-hmm. that is a full preparation for a variety of circumstances yes. that we'll encounter on the stormy sea Yes, that you've mentioned. Mm-hmm. Times when you'll, you will be called to be meek. Right. Times when you will clearly need to show mercy. And right. times when you'll need to be able to endure under persecution or people speaking falsely about you. Yes. Which is a terrible thing to have to bear. Right. And then it helps you to enter or be able to understand the persecuted or someone who feels persecuted, whether Mm -hmm. you understand where they're coming from or not, whether you agree that they're really persecuted or not. Mm -hmm. It really matters not. It's just that you can extend grace to that person. You can listen. You can embody grace and listen graciously and gracefully, full of grace. <laughs> Boy, you're making me think of that passage in Hebrews that says we have a sympathetic high priest who is tempted in all manner. As yes. we get. Jesus hungered. Yes. Jesus thirsted. Mm-hmm. Jesus was persecuted. So mm-hmm. he himself sympathized. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you're saying we then follow in his footsteps and then we can sympathize and love our yes. neighbor. Yes, we're supposed to be imitators of Christ. And so as, you know, looking at, you know, how when Christ interacted with sinners, with strangers, he didn't do an inventory or of like, or um, there was no application of worthiness or need. He didn't always even point out what's wrong with the person or you don't have the right this or that. He just entered into relationship with that person. That's what we see. He extends hospitality. He just is he he with the people who come to him and then is in that interaction of the relationship that they thus have that the the people are now able to hear or see and be differently <laughs> but it's not an um it's not always a preaching or or, or you know lining up of right attitude or even right thoughts or right, you know, whatever it is. You know, what we see in the gospel is Jesus living his life. We see him engaging in ministry and people being attracted to him. We see him talking with the Samaritan woman at the well and him seeing her and thus she seeing herself and seeing Christ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's that's what I mean by embodied grace, and that's what I, 
I mean by the attitude and it being orienting. So it helps us to, if we if we expect union with God, if we expect um, to be imitators of Christ, if we expect to see and walk in grace, we can't help but to be a gospel people or an Easter people. Boy, I love that. I would say... Uh, a, a blessed people, a people, a blessed of, people. Of, of the beatitude who 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 embody those beatitudes. Thank you. That's just a lovely way of thinking about education. It leads me to to think about this book I know you love, which mm-hmm. is Beauty in the Word mm-hmm. by Stratford Caldecott, mm-hmm. because he says um, teaching is ultimately a teacher loving a child. Yes, and considering a child as a remarkable creature uh, made in the image of God whose mm-hmm. eyes are wide open mm-hmm. with wonder. Yes. Could you talk about that a moment? Um, what does it mean for us to become like children mm-hmm. uh, that we might kind of with that single intense focus that children have gaze yes. at something wonderful and true yes. without distraction? I think that, like, if we start to contemplate a child, it's like, what I'm most struck by immediately how open a child is. They don't have categories that block people out. <laughs> you know what I mean? They don't, they don't look at a person and say, well, you don't look like you fit into this category. We cannot be friends. You're the wrong color. <laughs> right? <laughs> color, ideology, politics, whatever it is, uh-huh. children are not walking in that mm-hmm. <laughs> mindset. Mm-hmm. And so... A child, especially think of a four-year-old, you know, somebody who really is, you know, new and engaging into the world. They're so open. They receive others. <laughs> and then they, they enter into relationship with one another. They respond accordingly to hurt. <laughs> you know, they're not going to let themselves be hurt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to cry out. They have a, a very, you know, natural sense of justice. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not even based in ideas. It's based on what actually has taken place in the moment. Um, sometimes we think it's irrational, <laughs> but it is a sense of justice that actually happened to them. It's not based in the abstract world. And so the child's wonder then is what is it's an interaction of what is. What is in their environment? What are they experiencing? What do they see? how they're interacting, engaging. And so it's a beautiful thing when a child is so full of questions about what is this and what is that. Um, and we're to imitate that um, and and nurture that as teachers. And I love the idea. So, you know, if we're to love a child, we could almost think of ourselves as mothering the children or fathering the children. And I love the idea of husbandry, you know, the idea if you're a, if you're a male teacher or a father and your role is to husband, you know, your household, your children, your classroom, your school is to cultivate, is to nurture. And I love the idea of mothering, same thing. You are cultivating and nurturing and you have to have a um, Edith Stein talks about um, mothering and how to mother, which doesn't mean that. It's not just based on your own children, <laughs> but to nurture others and to help cultivate what's 
best in them and what is needed for them to pursue the life that God is calling them to to be and to do is that you have to have an expansive soul mm-hmm. that you have to be <laughs> um, whole and um, open and learning and in order to nurture the thing that you want in your child. So mm-hmm. I, the idea that that education, so often we get fooled or misguided in that the education is only in the book or only in the curriculum, but it is truly your whole life, <laughs> your whole interaction with the children see what the children are experiencing or, um, you know, children are very perceptive. So it's not even what you're always saying is how you're engaging <laughs> in the atmosphere you're creating that they're, that's what they're learning from. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, describing this expansive soul, mm-hmm. uh, Caldecott says in Beauty and the Word that a, a child has that expansive mm-hmm. soul. A child kind of lives, he says, in the infinite mm-hmm. because they haven't gone through a lot of passage of time. So the way they experience yes, the world I is just that. that there's unending time. Right. They have no concept of time. And that it's that's why they're always asking you when, like, what day or when will this happen? Or when is lunch? You know, we have lunch every day at the same time. Why are you keep asking me when are we having lunch? When will we get there? When will we get there? <laughs> and it's so beautiful to me as a parent too, and as a teacher. So often we um, we unintentionally hurt our children or unintentionally misguide them in some way. And it's a blessedness to know that they have short. They won't always remember that, <laughs> and that we can recover. You know, we can recover missteps by just picking up where we are and journeying forth. Mm-hmm. And I love that idea of um, childhood. But we have so much to learn from children. And I think when we, when we, in, I keep saying enter into a relationship with a child because it's how we view the child impacts how we interact with the child and the students who are before us. And if we don't see, if we can't see how we are connected to the children. Like, so we're not imposing our will on the children. We're actually gathering the children around us and having them to journey with us. So it's like imperative that you as a teacher, as the parent, that you live your life with the children because they're learning at your feet. You are a model to them. (laughs) And therefore, uh, becoming to some degree like a child. I'm thinking of how Christ says, you know, you have to become like a child to enter the kingdom of God, open, uh, full of wonder, uh, receptive, uh, willing to be taught, um, adventuresome perhaps. Mm -hmm. And so when when, uh, Edith Stein says we need to have an expansive soul, um, obviously we, we have to grow up and we can't be childish, but no. we still need to be childlike. childlike. And our so in the sense in which our children keep calling us back to that, yes. maybe there's a yes. sense in which they teach us, even as we're leading them as fathers and mothers. Right. And you you must be a learner. You must wonder, in a natural, organic way, not in a false way. Like <laughs> you see, often the teachers say, "Oh, wow, look at this kid." <laughs> That's not genuine. Like you must be a genuine person of who loves to learn who loves to read, who loves to wonder at something, 
Like, if you don't have that in you as a teacher, um, that's what you need to be working on. <laughs> First, because you can't guide the children into wandering if you don't wander yourself. They're going to imitate you. They're going to imitate you. Or they're going to feel like this is um, not worth my time. They're going to feel like they'll, they won't be able to express it, mm-hmm. but they'll feel it, and then they won't follow you. And now you have issues, behavior problems, and this and that, and then you'll blame the children. <laughs> or the, <laughs> the curriculum. Or the or curriculum, the or somebody. Or the, or the classroom. Right. So if, like, if I were hiring teachers, my conversation would just be about, oh, tell me about the books that you've read. I, I wouldn't even, it wouldn't really matter that it's the right books. <laughs> it's like, do you love to read? But I wouldn't ask that right out because, of course, oh, yes, of course I love to read. <laughs> but I would try to have conversations with the teachers that I'm hiring to see if they truly love to learn. Do they wonder about anything, just anything, not even the right things? But if you, if they have a sense of wonder, of learning, of being a reader, um, if they can see the world differently or in any way with any depth <laughs> beyond themselves, that's who I would hire. Because I can, we can always cultivate the culture of the school through like, oh, we're going to read these books together. Now, I, I would love, I don't even mind if you have a difference of opinion, long as you know how to have a conversation um, we have a group in New Orleans, uh, the School of Conviviality. That's what I would be looking for. Well, that concludes this episode of Cafe Scole, as we've talked with Danielle Bennett Dukes from New Orleans. In future episodes, we'll feature some additional interviews of Danielle and some others who share her conviction for bringing the classical tradition of restful education to homes and homeschools around the country. You can enjoy more of Daniel's teaching and training by going to the teacher training platform classicalu.com, where she's featured in a course entitled The Integrated Liberal Arts Education as a Whole Life Endeavor. Thanks for listening. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 